God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Family Discussion. It is great to be with you. This is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the... You know what? I'm in the ends. I'm just going nice. The nice Lisa Spencer. You're a nice person. That's that's poo-pooed by too many people. I like nice people. Yeah. You're nice. It, it, you know, nice. I have seen that poo-pooing also. Um, I'm kind of I don't get hard, it. I, I'm kind of hard pressed when I look at scripture that talks about the compassion, tenderness, gentleness, um, you know, uh, speech seasoned with salt. How is that not nice? I mean, you know, listen, I get that we don't, you know, we don't want to be pushovers. We don't want to be mealy mouth. But at the same time, I'm just like, I don't understand the the pushback against niceness. Like it's we're we're we should be kind people, especially when you think about the grace, the undeserved merit that we get from our Lord. How can we not be kind? I mean, let me ask this question. Maybe it's more of a rhetorical question. You don't have to get yourself in trouble by answering this question, but are people pushing back against niceness because they're trying to be more biblical or are people pushing back against niceness so that they have license to not be nice to people anymore? I'm just saying, I feel like it, when you keep pushing back against niceness, because niceness isn't biblical, um, I think you might just be looking for ways to be mean. And I don't know that that's, that's not, you know, don't go out of your way to be mean. There's enough meanness in the world. I, that's true. And I can not certainly speak to the motives of people's hearts, although our Lord Jesus did say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. So when people have this continual pushback against niceness, I'm like, okay, so you're speaking something that's in your heart. What's up there? Right? Well, and I mean, we're let's just do this as a way of transitioning into our topic today. When you look at the sixth commandment, what is um, among the things that are to be required by the sixth commandment and the things forbidden by the sixth commandment, some of them are, um, we are to be driven by charitable thoughts. This is what the Sixth Commandment requires of us. Charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior. Sounds like be nice to folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Sixth Commandment requires us to be nice to people. And um, sure, we can redefine it to mean weakness, but I don't think that's what the word nice means. I think it just means what I just read from the Westminster Large Catechism. So um, 
Lisa, thanks for jumping on again today. We are um, continuing our conversation around the image of God and anthropology uh, in, in season four here. And we've tackled some issues already. We've, we've touched on some things going on in the PCA. We've talked about the way that ethnic hatred really is a, a product of the fall and has been with us for a long time and has some pretty specific manifestations here in the United States, but that it's a, it's a big issue that needs to be seen in, in the scope that it is. Another um, kind of current event, not quite current event, but current social issue that comes to mind as we're talking about anthropology, the image of God, what does it mean to be human? One of the issues that comes to mind is a very difficult one and a very painful one for a lot of people. It's the issue of abortion. And um, what I want to do, because we're going to be talking about abortion as we talk a little bit broader about life issues in general, um, I just want to put, I don't know if it's a trigger warning up front, but if this is a topic that um, causes a lot of pain for you, then maybe this is an episode to just skip. That's okay. Jump back in next time. Um, because we're going to be talking about uh, some things that are painful, some things that really hurt. And we're not doing so to be mean. We're not doing so to throw any stones. But I do think that as we talk about the image of God, and as we talk about um, how God has created us to protect life and to, to work for the thriving of life, we need to address the issue of abortion in the United States. Um Lisa, you um, have been, I mean, we both have been, but you've been very um, open about your pro-life position for a long time. Um, in fact, it, when we were talking about politics before COVID hit, you know, in that previous reality of life, um, you, you shared that the issue of abortion is one of the reasons why um, you vote the way that you do. It's that important to you. When we talk about image of God and anthropology and sin and all of this, how how does this theological construct help you think through the conversation around abortion? Well, uh, you know, because ab abortion is just in the larger context of the preservation of life. And this is what the sixth commandment gets at, right? And I think, you know, before we... Um, we got on the recording, I think you mentioned something that was very important is that when we think of, you know, what the sixth commandment says, thou shall not kill, then we narrow it to premeditated murder, right? Premeditated killing, mm -hmm. which it mm -hmm. really, I mean, when you think about what abortion is, the fact that you have to make a decision to go and end the life of the child that is within you that is premeditated, right? So we sure. don't want to sugarcoat. Sure. We, you know, we don't want to sugarcoat. I know that's not very nice of me, but we don't want to sugarcoat, you know, what exactly sure. that is. But what I appreciate about the, what the West, what the um, larger catechism does is that it gives you a more fuller understanding of this issue of life. Oh, and by the way, if you really want some good commentary, on the command on the sixth commandment but on all of the commandments there is this wonderful book that i read a few years ago by j duma d-o-u-m-a yeah. um principles i forgot the title it's i forget it's on the about the ten, commandments. The ten it's, commandments i read it too but, ooh, it's brilliant he i mean he just really goes in depth into into each one 
So, you know, so my, you know, so I put, when I think about abortion and why that's important to be opposed to, it's in this broader context of, you know, the, whatever, you know, what, as the, as the catechism puts it, what are the duties and what are the, what are the duties um, towards the sixth commandment? What are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? Yeah. And so, you know, it is, it, it is the preserving of life. Unfortunately, just because of how it's been constructed in our, you know, in our society, that the baby is not really seen as a human, which I think is unfortunate. So you have this, you know, verbiage, my body, my choice. Well, no, actually, it's not your body. It's another person's body that you have the privilege of caring, right? So, you know, just even in the way that our larger society thinks about what is pregnancy? What is the, you know, what is the womb? What right. is the child? Um, you know, that right there, that foundation is, is off. So, of course, if you don't, if you don't consider that, you know, if you don't consider the baby as a human being, as someone who's made in the image of God, who has yet to be born, then, you know, that pragmatism that, you know, wants, and I don't want to push it to convenience because I know that there are some issues with respect to, um, you know, uh, capa- you know, the, just the capacity to care for a child. Um, yeah. You know, well, we may get into that, um, but that still cannot override the fact that that is actually a life. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, that that was part of the pro-choice argument for a long time. Is it well, you know, is it really alive? Is is it really a, a human being yet? And, um. You know, there was a lot of the uh, conversation around viability. You're not truly human until you're viable to survive outside of the womb. And and that there's a whole lot of problems with that argument because infants aren't viable to live on their own. They need a parent. They need someone to care for them. And and, and so there's the, there is the viability conversation. One of the more disturbing shifts that I've seen in the pro-choice movement over the last few years... Or those who don't deny that it's a human being, but that they use a form of the self-defense argument for why abortion is permitted, um, that the woman's body is effectively under attack by an unwanted um, human being, and that the the killing of this human being is actually a form of self-defense that the woman has the right to to protect her body from this outside or this intruder and um it's it's chilling really mm-hmm. the way that these these babies are described by granted more radical elements in the pro-choice movement you you don't hear that regularly in pro-choice literature but it's out there it's it's there and and those things that are, are, are kind of on the fringes of the pro-choice movement can often find their way into the mainstream. And, and that's one that I'm looking at where I'm going, it's an interesting shift because the science is becoming clearer and clearer. We're, we're able to see 3D imaging of these little children in the womb that are clearly human beings. Um, we, we are pinpointing brain activity really early. I mean, it's, it's clear that these are people 
So now you have to shift the argument and rationalize in a different way if abortion is going to be able to stand. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's difficult. Um, that's the activist conversation, though. Um, and, and that's the, the shouting that you hear at marches, um, protesters and counter-protesters. That's that, that's that conversation. And there's a place for that, I think. But what was really interesting to me was the, the different view that I got of the um, abortion conversation when my wife started volunteering before we moved to New York, volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center outside of Philadelphia. And then we moved to New York a few years ago, and she actually got employed. She, she took a job at a crisis pregnancy center where she still works. And she is called the patient, patient resource manager. And at some point, maybe we'll have her on the show to, to talk firsthand about what, what she experiences. I think that'd be good for us. But, you know, she works directly with the women. And she's dealing with women who are in profound crisis. Um, now, as a Christian organization, I, I know that churches want to think that this is an out-there problem. But a lot of the women she's working with um, who are really seriously considering abortion are in our church pews. These are these are Christian women who have heard all the pro-life rhetoric, all the pro-life um, argumentation. They've heard it all. But now they're in the moment of crisis and they don't know what to do. And um, part of what we have to do, I think, when we talk about the issue of abortion is recognize, okay, women are in crisis and there's two image bearers here. There's the image bearer in the womb, but then mom is an image bearer too. And we are required by the Sixth Commandment, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 135, 136, we are required to protect and defend the innocent. Okay, that little, that little one in the womb is innocent. We, we, I'm not talking theologically doctrine of sin stuff. That's an innocent little baby there. And the, the, the catechism would tell us we are to protect and defend the innocent. But we are also, we are also to make sure that we are um, forbidden from neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of pres preservation of life. A lot of these women don't know how they can preserve this life. They don't know how they're going to be able to feed another baby. They don't know if they have the, the capabilities of caring for a child. And what's, what's strange is they almost see abortion as an act of mercy. Because they're in a place of crisis of, I can't do this and this child will suffer if I bring it into this world. And, and so we need really compassionate people to be caring for these women and walking them through. No, actually, first, you can be a mom. Like that's, that's one of the conversations that has to happen. Re-education around adoption would also be good. But you know, there's a whole lot of different things that are there. I just think that when we approach the abortion conversation... We can forget that we're dealing with two image bearers. And, and I think if we're going to do this well, and if we're going to allow the abortion conversation to have the larger context you're talking about, Lisa, of preservation of life as a whole and the thriving of life as a whole, we got to care for both image bearers here. Yeah. And, you know, I think you said something really important that I want to I point out in terms of the work of crisis pregnancy centers because there's this caricature of you know of people who are passionate about um, anti-abortion right that oh you only care about the unborn child but what happens when you know when he or she 
is out of the womb. Um, and so there's this caricature that, oh, it's only about abortion. No, this is, and this is where we have to applaud the work of the crisis pregnancy centers across the, the center and those churches who partner with them, right? Yeah. Who look, yeah. who look Amen. to take care of the, the woman, the look to take and make sure that this child's life is going to be okay. And there's a lot of work going on. We may not see it. Probably will never see it in mainstream media, but mm, um, mm -hmm. but there but there is a lot of work being done on the ground on behalf of the mother and her child. Yes, after the child is born, there is a lot happening, and and it's you know when we get into policy conversation, we can have some really good debate over what are the policies that can lead to human thriving and and caring for moms and stuff like that, but. As the church, we should be taking the lead on this. I think that we are taking the lead on this. I think that crisis pregnancy centers, by and large, are trying to care for mom and baby after the baby is born. Uh, the pro-life movement is a lot more than those folks who are picketing Planned Parenthood. And those folks who are picketing Planned Parenthood, by the way, are ordinarily trying to connect these women then to the resources they need to be able to help their children thrive, right? So we have, there's caricatures all over the place on, on this one that, that really demonize the, the pro-life movement. I do think that the broader framework is helpful, and, and that's where you're starting to hear some language over the last couple years, maybe longer, whole life. Um, I'm not just pro-life, but I'm whole life, people will say. And, and I do think there's some, con there's, there's catechetical, confessional reason to say that. We are trying to obey what the larger catechism teaches us about the Sixth Commandment and the preservation of the whole of life from womb to tomb. And an organization that I just want to commend um, for doing really good work here is the Anne Campaign. Um, my wife got in touch with the Anne Campaign and started doing some work with what they call their Whole Life Committee. And, and they are about anti-abortion work and a whole lot of other things as well. And how are, how are we helping people really thrive and, and preserving, protecting life at every stage? Um, and and this, is, this got me in trouble once. Might get me in trouble again. But this is also why I think those of us who really care passionately about social justice, we need to care about this too. Um, I wrote an article in uh, a couple years ago. New York passed a law that had some really concerning things in and around abortion um and it, it was the most obvious concerning thing is it, it it effectively enshrines abortion in the new york constitution um and and also opens the door it, it doesn't push us through the door but it opens the door to partial birth abortion as well um but it also stripped away some of the basic human rights for that unborn child and for those of us who really care about social justice that is a profound social injustice that basic human rights are not afforded to these children because they haven't been born yet. And so I, I just think that, you know, we're starting to see some cool things. You know, my wife is, um, you know, she was at the March for Life in, in January and she was hanging out, yeah, with a lot of conservatives. Yes, there are a lot of conservatives who are really passionate about this. But she was also hanging out with Democrats for Life. She was also hanging out with um, feminists, for, uh, feminists for Life, Feminist Choosing Life in New York. She was hanging out with um, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Union, which is like a 
far left progressive movement who are saying, no, this is violence. This is violence against these children and they deserve basic rights. The, the pro-life movement, the whole life movement is more bipartisan than people would want you to think. Because um, people are coming at this issue from a variety of different places and recognizing a profound injustice is happening here. And we as Christians can see a profound injustice is happening here because it is a violation of the Sixth Commandment on a whole host of levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lisa, in, in, the, in your exposure to the, the pro-life movement as it intersects with the local church, what are some really effective things that you've seen in how local churches are able to help with the preservation of life, not just in, in the abortion context, but the preservation of life as a whole. I mean, you've been in quite a few church contexts, and mm-hmm. and this is something that I think across the board, I, I'm very critical of the evangelical church. I think here, the evangelical church has done pretty well, pretty good job, um, uh, pretty much across the board. So um, what are some of the things that you've seen that's been really encouraging in, in the promotion and preservation of life in local churches? Right. I, you know, in both the PCA churches, I've been a member of the one I'm at now, the previous one. And I would also say the, um, you know, we had Daniel Wells on um, a few weeks yeah, back. Yeah. And um, when I went to speak at that conference, there was somebody there from uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center that did a presentation to, you know, to engage the, you know, the ladies there, you know, and, and thinking about different ways that they could help. And so I've seen, I've, I've had that at my former PCA church and I have that um, at our church now, both um, both PCA churches in Roanoke are really actively involved with mm, the, um, with the, with our local uh, crisis pregnancy center and, you know, is soliciting from, from membership, you know, ways, um, ways to help, ways to care for the mother and the child. You know, I, I think church involvement is, is so important in this because we, we, we do want to make sure that image bearers are cared for, that image bearers live and survive. But we also want to make sure image bearers have access to the gospel. And the more that churches are involved in this work, the higher the probability that mom and baby are going to to have a covenant community around them to love them and support them and help them. Um, you know, there, there are some places where there's a lot, a lot of public resources to help moms with um, and single moms or young couples who were, were struggling. You know, a lot of the women who come into crisis pregnancy centers, at least up here in New York, the ones that my wife works at, um, a lot of those women are married. They, 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 they have a husband they, they are in a long-term relationship if they're not married. Um, so it's not just the, the single 16-year-old girl who's scared. It's the 35-year-old woman who's not sure she's ready to do this again. You know, the, There's a whole host of reasons why women are seeking abortion. Churches can come alongside these families and care for them and walk them through them, even providing some of the resources that are needed, providing babysitting help providing um, rides to work, providing rides to school. Like there's a whole lot of things that local churches can provide just from the body um, to, to care for these families. And, and so this is, where I, this is where I make my pitch for people who are passionate about this issue 
to really start taking action. Um, a lot of our listeners probably already are. They're either donating to a crisis pregnancy center or they're, they're helping in some way. But if you're not and you care about this, donate. Like crisis pregnancy centers are nonprofits most, uh, most of the time. Like they, they need donation. They need help to be able to do what they're doing. They, they don't got government grants coming their way. So they need your help to stay open and do this work with women. But don't just give. Like, look, how, how else can you help? And how can your church come alongside women who are in crisis and, and care for them and, and their children? It's just, it's an important thing, I think, that we take this out of the realm of ideological warfare that we see in, in, among talking heads and politicians. And down to the ground, these are our neighbors. These are our friends. Let's care for them well in our local churches. It just it, it seems to make sense to me, but so many kind of just leave it in the political sphere. And um, I think when we do that, we miss a pretty big opportunity to show the love of Christ to people. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, when um, when we see the abortion conversation happen in that sphere up there, we see some pretty awful language. <laughs> Um, some pretty mean diatribes, um, not just from the pro-choice community, but from the pro-life community as well. When you read the Westminster Larger Catechism on the prohibition to murder in the sixth commandment that we've been looking at, these couple of, how should that temper the way we speak about abortion as we're having this conversation? So I have the version of the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism that I have. It's kind of like the older language, but also has a commentary um, by um, um, G.I. Actually, it's edited by G.I. Williamson, but the commentary is by Johannes Voss. Sorry, I had that wrong. I thought it was G.I. Williamson's commentary. And so it expands on, what he does is he expands on the duties and the sins, right? What is what exactly does this mean? And I was really struck by, so when, um, you know, when we talk about what are the duties required in the sixth, and I'm just going to read in the sixth commandment, and I'm just going to read this portion and then read the commentary. Um, the uh, duties required of the sixth commandment are a sober use of meat, drink, uh, psychic, um, phys- no, physic. Um, physic, yeah, physic, yeah. Sleep, labor, and recreation. Listen, that's a whole other episode that we could really get into. Um, <laughs> but here, but here is here, here here's here's where we want to get to. By charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled patient bearing and forgiving of injuries and requiting good for evil comforting and securing okay there's some language for you securing oh do we even use that word anymore in our vocabulary <laughs> yeah that's a that is old language so, there so yep. i know i need to update my my larger catechism i'm reading the same one you're reading oh, okay securing the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent and here is the commentary that i was kind of struck by um 
And he asked this question, why does the sixth commandment require us to maintain a peaceable and kindly spirit towards others? Because the contrary spirit, that is the unkind, unreasonable, unloving spirit will inevitably have a harmful effect both on ourselves and on others. It will disturb our own and our neighbor's peace of mind and by the influence of the mind on the body, the effect will be to injure to a greater or lesser degree our own and our neighbor's bodily health, right? Because there is a connection of the mind and the spirit. That's what we've been talking about, that Amen. God made us as whole people. Um, mm -hmm. Anger, stubbornness, a harsh and unfriendly spirit, and similar attitudes cannot but have a harmful effect both on the mind and on the body. This is a form of killing, which the law of God certainly forbids. Now, you know, yeah. I think about, let's say you talk about people, you know, ladies in the church, and I think about the, the single woman in the church, and she falls into sin, right? And she knows she's done wrong. She's asked God for forgiveness. She repents. Um, she's, you know, determined, like, I'm not going to make that slip again, but then she gets pregnant, right? What, what do you do with that? Now we can berate her. Oh, you should have kept your legs closed. You know, you, you know, you shouldn't have fallen into sin or we can, one, we can understand that, you know, maybe our sins aren't so <laughs> far removed, but you know, we mm -hmm. just don't, we just haven't engaged in that particular sin. Mm -hmm. um and and what grace you know do we want to have what grace and mer more grace yes but mercy what kind of mercy would we want to receive when we mess up right so you know the young lady who um messes up and i know that both of us i'm sure i know i've known a plenty right um how how do we how do we continue in the preservation of life and what i love about that particular commentary is there's a way to handle it and there's a way that actually destroys that actually destroys life so when we think about life you're right the protection of the unborn we think about it in um physiological terms right and just the, the physical terms but what about the mental health of mm. the woman, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and particularly those who have, you know, are in the church, the Christians who mess up, you know, who have messed up, yeah. who have fallen into sin and they, and they get pregnant. Then, you know, so now how do we move forward with that in a way that preserves yeah. life, not just the biological function, but also the mental capacity, the mental functioning of the, per wow. the mental health of the person. Yeah, you know, that's, wow, that is that is powerful, and you're absolutely right. I think that one of the places we can start is by changing a little bit of our language around pregnancy. Um, pregnancy is always good. Always. How a woman becomes pregnant may be sinful. You know, we, we, we don't know. How a woman becomes pregnant can be violent. 
There are women who become pregnant because of, of assault and rape. How the woman becomes pregnant can be wicked, it can be sinful, it can be awful, but the pregnancy itself is always good. And we don't react that way sometimes. It's our reactions that tell a lot about how we're really feeling about something, right? When you see an unmarried sister is pregnant, what's your reaction? Is your reaction, oh, look what she did. Or his reaction, look at the pregnancy. Pregnancy is good. Pregnancy is always good. The birth of children is always good. Sin can be all the way around it, but we don't want to call what is good sinful. And, and we, we just, some of that language. If, if a woman who has had, who's made a mistake or a woman who's been assaulted knows that when she comes to church, she gets judged for her pregnancy... She's not going to come. She's just not. But if she knows that her church family is going to embrace her and celebrate, you're pregnant. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Let's celebrate this together. Yeah, we can talk about how it happened. We can weep over how it happened. We can we can deal with sin issues. But man, pregnancy's good. Pregnancy's a gift from God. And, and you know what, to take it in a different direction, I just, I know too many couples who have struggled so hard to try and have children that, that we just, we need to quit treating pregnancy like it's nothing that, like it's different than a blessing from God. It's a blessing. I mean, read the scriptures. Pregnancies are good things, especially throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. What do you have? But women constantly praying, Lord, I want to be pregnant and and the Lord hears the cry, and the pregnancy is a good thing. Even when the pregnancy comes about by some pretty twisted means, especially when you read the way that the 12 tribes were conceived. But the pregnancies were good. The births were good. And I think that that simple shift in mindset might be really helpful in how in, in making sure our churches are welcoming places for pregnant women. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Amen. Um, but at the same time, I think we also have to recognize and acknowledge where it's not helpful, where, you know, even those in the church are, you know, adopting the the mindset, if you will, of, you know, this pragmatism about, you know, about pregnancy, about, you know, so now, it, you know, it's kind of undermining the issue of life, and then it becomes more about pragmatic concerns um, because, you know, that happens. And there are also pastors, and I say, quote, unquote, and they're, you know, that's found in, I know this found in the more liberal um, traditions who like have no, have no problem being, you know, vocally and, and committed to, to pro-choice pro, pro positions. I don't right. even know how you reconcile that. But, you know, but it's there. And unfortunately, it, in, you know, it can influence the, I don't know, maybe the less grounded saint, you know, who then starts to think along those same lines of pragmatism and what's best for the mother and the fact that the child inside is not actually a human being. Um, you know, that's the concern there. Yeah, we can dismiss them. Oh, that's the, you know, that's the liberal churches. They don't have... Um, you know, they don't have the Christian faith anyway, but well, who are they influencing, though? 
that's you know to me that's the bigger concern no i I think that's a very real one i mean this is the other side of forgetting that there's two image bearers here we want to protect the woman yes the woman matters she's she's a an image bearer so is the child we we dare not forget that the child is is important and and yeah these um more liberal progressive pastors who have taken a pro-choice position um that ideology their position denies the dignity of the child we that we can't do that to to affirm the Genesis 1 and 2 reality of image bearing requires us to say both people here, the woman and the child, have dignity and worth in the eyes of God and are therefore not only afforded basic human rights, New York Council, but are also afforded all the protections of the Christian church, making sure that we are... Um, doing everything we can to protect and defend this life. And, and that's, you know, we, we, we need to be careful that we don't violate the sixth commandment because political pragmatism would tell us to be quiet on the issue of abortion. And, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm speaking for a second here to my, my fellow progressive liberal brothers and sisters in the political spectrum. It is not expedient when it comes to the progressive and and democratic and liberal platforms. It's not expedient to be pro-life. Look at the way that Joe Manchin is being raked across the coals right now. It is not expedient to be pro-life. But it's right. And it's faithful. And pragmatism is a... It, man... It's a, it's a wooing mistress to try and get us to kind of turn our back on what's true. But, you know, there's there's a lot. Know that there's a lot of progressives, Democrats, liberals who are pro-life, who are proudly pro-life, trying to get pro-life work done. One of the things that was really cool um, at the March for Life, my wife heard uh, from a gentleman. He was connected to the Ann campaign. He is running for Congress in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, he was he was given a speech there. He's he's a pro-life Democrat, and he's running for U.S. Congress in Chicago, out of Chicago. And uh, one of the things he mentioned got of a lot of applause in the room. He said, "I am the only uh, pro-life Democrat who is running in this primary, and if I win, I will be the only pro-life candidate running for this Congress seat because my Republican counterpart." is pro-choice well there's a... um it's uh i mean it's it's announced with john mccain was was famously a pro-choice republican mm-hmm. um you know that it's not as the political expediency is something we want to stay away from because it muddies the truth on this issue these are human beings we want to be caring for mm-hmm. that we want to be that we want to be supporting and making sure that we are encouraging women and, in, and making sure that we are encouraging their husbands and boyfriends to not break this sixth commandment. I mean, there's a little bit of me that's like, hey, th- there's a man involved in this too. Yes. He, he, you know, that's a part of this conversation. She didn't get herself pregnant. And the the man in the picture here should also, 
Because you do get this in the church sometimes. She's looked at a particular way and he's not. Boys will be boys. Well, boy's a man now, apparently. And he needs to do the man thing yeah. of, of caring for this child. Yes. Um, Lisa, any last words uh, on this? And we, we've, we've spent a lot of time around abortion and, and talking a little bit broader about issues of life and, and the image of God. Any last words before we say goodbye to our audience for the week? Now, just know also that there are women in the church. There are Christians who are fully devoted to the Lordship of Christ who have made that unfortunate choice of having an abortion. There is a deep regret. In some cases, it, it can be debilitating. But there is guilt. There is deep regret. Um, there is an under, you know, especially when you have more of a comprehension that there is, there was a life involved in that choice. Um, you know, they're not platforming, well, I, you know, I, I had to do it or whatever. Like they deeply regret that decision. Be merciful to mm. those women also. And, and that, you know, that should impact the way that we as pastors touch on this issue from the pulpit. There are women in your church who have had an abortion. Be, be gentle as you preach on this. I'm not saying don't preach on this. There, there are passages in scripture that are going to lead you to preach on this. That's, that's good. Do it. But be gentle because um, you have some really hurting saints in that room. Lisa, thank you for that reminder. That's a great way to to sign us off. That's it from Family's Discussion for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll continue our, our wrestling through anthropology, image of God, sin, all of that. Um, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. Thank you.